welcome survivors, burnout community, and those just interested. It's Kelly Buboltz, trainer, author, speaker, and your burnout prevention mentor. Burnout is not taboo. It's our reality in this chaotic, fast-paced world. But we're not going to let it drive the narrative to our stories. We're going to do something about it. So let's dig in. The following interview was clipped from a video you can find on my YouTube channel. Quick link in the show notes. How did you come to do burnout workshops? Yeah, so that was never supposed to happen, actually. Um, I was doing leadership workshops, something I've done for eight years prior to that. And people were seeing me out in the field again. And I was looking good. I didn't have gauze all over my, my skin. My hair was growing back. I was gaining some weight back for my weight loss and I didn't look like death. And they're like, what happened, Kelly? Like, you look great. You know, you look like you have energy. And I was like, oh yeah, I've been in kind of burnout recovery and been trying different things and had to kind of make my own recovery plan. And they wanted it. They wanted the recovery plan. And most of these people were my HR peers. So exact same profession, industries. And so I created a burnout workshop. And unfortunately it's based off of a trauma curve and it's what communities go through when they go through trauma. And the research is based off of, unfortunately, school shootings, but also hurricanes and tornadoes. So an event happens and then a behavioral curve starts. And in the lowest point of that curve, the lowest performance and energy is called disillusionment. And that's what I based my whole recovery plan off of. And basically I started teaching the workforce, the workforce um, that disillusionment curve. and. The four categories within it, physical, cognitive, emotional, and relationships, and what we can do to get out of it. And then it pretty much blew up from there 100% organically and um, became the biggest workshop that I've done, which is building resiliency. What's one thing people misunderstand about burnout? Uh, That it is chronic. It's a chronic condition. And it's very serious. So people like to joke on social media, and I see it on TikTok all the time, that, you know, oh, I have intrusive thoughts, haha. And, um, you know, I'm having a really rough time. You know, all these comments are really helping. And what we need to understand is that's already phase eight of 12 of burnout collapse. And I'm forever thankful that I had physical burnout collapse. It is definitely re- the recovery journey was a little faster, but there's a mental side of it too. And I saw a little bit of that during my physical collapse, but the mental collapse, if you would have that, is basically a reset in a facility or you would unalive yourself. So I don't think people realize when you are having these emotional behaviors and people are recognizing them or you're putting them out on social media very open and publicly is that you have already went through eight phases of burnout and you only have four phases left and they're pretty scary and dark. Uh, They include disassociation and depression and then basically there's no value in you being here in the world anymore. What's a common response you get during your programs? Hmm. Uh, tell me what to do. <laughs> so when you're in burnout, you don't have energy and basically you've exhausted the resources that you think are available. And you may have been to modern medicine doctors already. You can't figure out how to navigate uh, work-life balance. And of course you have all the advice of different society, family, friends in there as well. And so by the time they get to me or they get to workshops, they just want me to tell them what to do. And it's a very complex answer because we're all individuals. And most of us don't even know what we would want to do regardless of obligations and distractions. 
And I always give the question during workshops, if I give you endless amount of time and money and remove all obligations and distractions, what would you be doing? And most people don't know who they are. And most people don't even know what makes them happy. So it's a very loaded question and it includes identity loss and truly where our behaviors and addictions lie within our lifestyles and then the support and tribe and environment we're around. So it's not as easy as tell you what to do. Everyone has a customized roadmap. What was your biggest mistake during burnout recovery? That it was a one and done thing. So when you start getting energy back, you think I'm healed or you know, I'm good to go. And once you start down that rabbit hole, it pretty much is like black holes everywhere. You find out, oh, I don't know who I am. And maybe I don't even like the friends I hang around and the environments that I've been in don't make me happy. And I have behavioral problems and that's why I eat the way I eat or I stress eat or I bored eat. And I can't ever get help, but I don't know how to ask for help. So there's all these like little rabbit holes that start showing up. It's not a, hey, I started meditating and so like I'm all better. So I think something that we need to recognize with recoveries is a journey. And one thing that I'm very proud of the Compass program and online recovery program is I broke it up into four pieces because when I look at my recovery journey to tell someone how I recovered is, it's impossible because there's so many big parts and checkpoints that I had to cross in order to get to this point. And you can't do the fourth checkpoint after the second one, for example. You have to do one and build the foundation to step up. So it, um, I broke it down into four different checkpoints so that if you don't do one, you're not gonna succeed at two or three or four. And we have to realize that it's a continuous journey. And even now, now I'm digging into the next layer of productivity guilt and why I still stay busy and why I still go back to old patterns and social norm pressures. And um, who, who truly am I now that I've stepped into it and am I actually enjoying it? So it's a continuous improvement plan. You've mentioned you've gotten insults that you're actually proud of. Can you talk about one of them? You've changed, and I've heard it multiple times. Um, I think some of the daggers that hurt the most was from family and friends, that you've changed in a negative context. And so therefore, I've made them now uncomfortable and they don't want to hang around me or contact me or um, try to keep the relationship, which is unfortunate. But also, it shows how far I've come and how much I've stood up to my healthy boundaries or sustained those healthy habits that now I don't fit in, maybe with the bar crowd anymore, or the people that, you know, feel comfortable and happy and, and think it's fun to binge eat and feel like crap for three days. And knowing that, you kind of finally reflect on all, how far you've come because you don't see it day to day. So I think that's probably the proudest moment of the recovery is, is that I have changed. What's engaging about your programs? I would say it's about humans and human behavior, so that's how we train. If I was training on procedures or new policies or new software, PowerPoint all the way, virtual, and you know we, we can get the job done. We, we get the objectives. Um, and, and everyone leaves that training and they know what to do. But when you're talking about humans and behavior and moving out of lack of community and back to community and support, you can't do that virtually. And you can't do that through PowerPoint. 
So when I do keynote speeches and they ask for my IT material or my presentation, it's very difficult because I work the whole crowd. I don't stand on a stage and just lecture and dictate for an hour or 90 minutes. I, I take people's experiences and, and their tools and techniques because they're on the same journey, either the beginning or the end, or maybe they're, they're not even started. And that's the community effect is... When you are in burnout, you're so alone and you feel like you're on this like black hole, this darkness, this fog all by yourself. And then when people start talking in the audience or talking in the workshop, you realize you're not. And it's amazing to see, you know, the person on the left and the person on the right, they obviously sat away from each other because they don't know each other. They don't feel comfortable around each other. And then by the end of the workshop, you, they're inseparable. They're eating lunch together or they're exchanging their favorite books or podcasts. And that's the community effect. And one of the top six in employer contributions to burnout is lack of community. So they actually, the more you segregate and separate your company, the more that burnout can occur. So what my workshops are all flip charts, uh, activities. We play with the material. We practice the material so that when we get back to the real world, instead of a PowerPoint that goes back in your desk and you don't do anything with, you've already practiced and played with it that you feel comfortable to actually do it. And now you have new resources and connections to support you and hold you accountable. So that's the whole purpose of the workshop is it's not about just training. It's about practically applying it to this fast-paced reality that we live in. What do you use that makes your message relevant to your clients? I would say the experience of our reality. So there's so many trainings I've been to and wellness conferences since I've started this journey. And some of the techniques and tools that are presented to us are great. And it's psychological research and it's how the human body works. But for most of us, we live a life of chaos and it is impossible some days to find balance and we have to work to live. We don't get a month long yoga retreat that's available to us. Uh, We have kids or elderly parents or disabled people in our lives that we need to take care of. So there's not these luxury items that are sometimes presented in conferences or even a luxury of time. And so something that I think is super relatable that has come through in the workshops and keynote speeches is the reality portion of Sometimes we don't have time and sometimes we don't have money. So how does the average middle-class person who is working, who might be parenting multiple things, struggling all this, how does someone like that get out of burnout? Because that's the majority of people who are in burnout. And that relative activities that we do in tools is probably why people are succeeding with these tools is because, you know, tell me to meditate. I don't even know what that is. I can't sit with myself for five minutes. Tell me to stare at a wall for five minutes and just like check out from reality. Oh, I can do that. Oh, look, that's meditation, right? You find the the relativity between the science and the average person. And so um, I also have a slight sailor mouth. So you get rid of all the corporate BS and the doctor lingo and people actually listen. So I would say that's probably the, the most relative thing and tool is that It's practical. What's a controversial discovery you've made while becoming a guide for others? That you cause your own burnout. (laughs) Um, And it's interesting when you go out on social media channels and there's a few uh, burnout 
coaches or even just the psychologists that have dove into this. And it's automatically on external controls, like an employer, external pressures. Um, like society or trying to keep up with parenting. And what I don't like about that is nothing of that discussion is in our control, which keeps us in survivorship mode, which keeps us in burnout, is I can't control what my employer does to me, but I can control my response to that employer. And when you start to take back control and actually say, I'm 100% accountable for my burnout, then things start to change. things start to shift when you start shifting the blame from them to you because that's what's in your control so uh your employer most likely is not making you work till 10 o'clock you are working till 10 o'clock because it makes you feel like you're being productive or that you'll be productive tomorrow or that you're contributing or that you are bringing value to the corporation because that's how you were brought up all these black holes like we've mentioned in other videos and When you start taking back control of your own actions, you start to move out of the survivorship mode because all those variables start to change versus the blame game of things that are completely out of reach. And so when you say, I need to take work email off my phone because I'm the one who is signing on, then imagine that your world starts to change versus my employer makes me work all the time. Nine times out of 10 in my workshops, there's not one single emergency contact that needs to be contacted 24 seven. And so some companies completely do away with work email on the phone and then some leave it up to the individuals. But again, this is where we get down to the black holes that I get into in our coaching sessions. And that's productivity guilt, that's validation. Because if work doesn't need me, then who needs me? That is uh, stress addiction which is an interesting thing that we go through in a whole other podcast episode. And so what people don't agree with me in is that term, is we're 100% accountable for our burnout. What's something that surprised you during your recovery? Social norm pressures. So when you're doing the work and you're honing in and you're reading books and you're turning off the TV and you're getting off social media, The moment you get back on social media, it clicks back those old behaviors and you just go right back to your routine. Or the moment that you're in that environment again around certain people or certain places, you do the things that you said you would never do. And so it it triggers those hard pipelines that you have been trying to reroute, but it's a new trail. It's not as thick as the, the trail you've been on for a long time. And so it just shifts right back to the main trail that you've you've been on in your previous old self. What's one question you wish I'd asked you and how would you have answered? What do I wish someone would have said during my burnout collapse? And the answer would have been, you're not alone. So interestingly enough, what I found is after doing those training sessions for all those years in my HR role, um, it's a lot of those behavioral curves are based off of grief curves or human behavior and trauma and, and distress. And Burnout collapse is similar to someone in grief. And you can be in a crowded room and feel so alone, like no one understands. And you are screaming for help, but you can't help yourself. And you want things to change, but they're not changing. And so when I finally started talking about my burnout months in my recovery, the amount of messages that I got on social media and emails, and obviously the organic growth of of my trainings, showed we are not alone. 
that burnout is extremely prevalent and over half the population is burnout. And for some reason, we're still not talking about this big elephant in the room. And so I want people to know that you are not alone and that there is resources and not just my resources, but the resources I guide others to. And if, if other people can do it, if I can do it, then they can do it too. So that would be the one one thing I want people to hear and, and you hear to my content over the time and my newsletter over and over again is you are not alone. I know you're not lazy. Most people in burnout are high performers, those serving others before themselves. Don't discount this step today, the action in which you focus on your self-growth. Piecing together, the puzzle is half the journey. Rediscovering yourself, energy, and establishing new habits is the other. Do not underestimate the untapped inner strength inside you. Explore more resources on my website to move from zombie mode back to liveliness. See you soon.